Hi everyone and welcome to the Parama Podcast. I'm James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Uh, I'm delighted to welcome a new guest to the show today. Uh, somebody who I've been following for a while now and just encountered her in the last few months. And wow, <laughs> um, a speaker, a writer um, and a professor of communication at Colorado University. Uh, and uh, Dr. Heather Thompson Day, welcome to the show. Hello, I'm so glad to be here. And just a correction, it's Colorado Christian University. Oh, yeah, I know. I just realized that after, after I, I said it. Colorado University to write a letter like, we don't employ her. Yeah, Colorado uh, Christian. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you've written for people like Newsweek and you've been on the BBC and everything like that. And that's. Yeah, and you've written a few books as well, so yeah, um, I've just been encountering your work, and it's yeah, it's it's really incredible. It, there's so much, it's so much breadth to the the topics as well. You talk about um, faith, talk about marriage, talk about politics. There's so many different things and things I'm interested in. So um, yeah, it's great to have you here. Well, I'm glad to be here. Happy to have a conversation. Yeah, so tell us a bit about. Tell us, tell us a bit of your story and your background and, uh, yeah, where this kind of all began. So my background is essentially, as far as, well, let's categorize it. If we look at faith, I kind of grew up in a van. I like to tell people, not that I really did, but I spent a ton of time on the road with my dad, who had an independent ministry. And so we would go every single weekend all over uh, the country and abroad to different places where he would be speaking. And so I grew up, and, and before my dad went into ministry, he had been on Broadway. So his background was in musical theater as an actor who in shows like Jesus Christ Superstar and Hair. Oh, wow. And then he became a Christian and uh, started doing shows, essentially. He would create, like, Bible shows. It sounds really weird, but he was really talented, so it worked for him. And so we would travel all over the country every single weekend. So I grew up really being able to see the Holy Spirit fill a room. I never, I'm not one of the people that used to question whether or not really God existed. I've kind of always felt like God existed because I've, I've seen and encountered the Holy Spirit so much of my childhood. And then as I got older, I, you know, ended up kind of following in his footsteps a little bit as far as uh, doing independent ministry and uh, traveling around going to churches, even though that hadn't been my, I never thought I would be doing what I'm doing. I never thought. I, my dream was to be a professor. And luckily, I've been able to do that as well. But as I started writing books, the doors kept opening for, for you know, people often, there's not a lot, a lot of female speakers, so sometimes the doors would open for that. And so God would bless it. And this is where it's led me. And then essentially I really spent the, the crux of my career is talking to people, not just about the Bible, but more about what we can understand through the lens of communication when looking at the Bible. That's what I do. So I'm a communication professor for Colorado Christian university. Mm. I love I love the power of words. Just like, for example, the first thing we ever see in scripture is God speak and his word creates worlds, 
right? His word mm-hmm. really literally creates the world, and I just believe that. I believe that as as his creation and people who are made in his image, our words actually have the power to create worlds for people. And so I want people to be more intentional about the words that they're putting out into the world because they are shaping other people's realities as they go. And oftentimes we're just not conscious about it. So that's a little bit about me and my passion. Wow, that's that's beautiful. That's a really... And the way you can... I mean... <laughs> It's ironic that I'm going to say this, but the way you communicate that is so, <laughs> is so, is so, is so, um, I guess, authentic and passionate. You know, it's it's really refreshing actually to talk to somebody who is so passionate about the power of words because I yeah. I believe what you do. I believe that again, yeah, words words shape words shape worlds. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, whether it's spoken words or it's written words. Uh, I've done both, and it, it really is. It is incredible how how that happens. Um, yeah, and something that I like to talk about is it doesn't just shape other people's worlds. That happens, but it also shapes your own, mm. right? Like the words we use change how we perceive our own realities, and actually we have physiological responses. to the, like, Let's just say this. If, if right now, for everybody who's listening, I'm going to, let's do a little experiment for people who are listening right now, okay? We're going to do a science experiment. You're going to walk into my communication classroom. So take a second, and I want you to, like, close your eyes, take three deep breaths, maybe roll your neck around. So take three deep breaths, roll your neck around, just kind of relax, and then we're going to test something, okay? Once you've rolled your neck around a few times, both sides, no, 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 no. The second I say those two letters, N-O, your brain releases dozens of stress-producing hormones and neurotransmitters. Some of you, when you heard me even say the word no, you felt a, an immediate like reaction, a physical jolt that happens. Two letters have the ability to create dozens of stress-producing hormones and neurotransmitters, which literally prevent your brain from being able to communicate in the way that you want to communicate, mm. right? So this is what I'm saying. We walk through life, and we just say stuff. And we're like, it's fine. And I'm like, no, it's not, because your brain is constantly reacting to the words that you're saying. So how do I train people to take more ownership of what we're doing to our own bodies, right? And then when we're talking to other people, what we're doing to each other. Mm. Oh, this is yeah, this is fascinating to me. I'm always interested in in this kind of thing, both from a creative point of view, but and from an identity point of view, but also from the science as well. Yeah, it's it's just how it all blends together because it's like the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, like end up kind of manifesting themselves because we're telling our brain what a story. You know, yes. that probably isn't even true, and then it becomes true because we keep telling ourselves it is true. Yes, absolutely. I For my dissertation, that's right, I did my dissertation on the power of story and the stories that we use to create connection with each other and then the stories that we use within ourselves, our interpersonal stories. And it is, the research is fascinating at how powerful stories are. But your brain automatically processes almost all events in stories. So even when you think about, like, or you fantasize about what could happen, that is your brain creating stories for yourself about how certain events might go. And so I often will, the more research I've done now, and it might sound weird to other people, but I will say things out loud just for the sake of my brain. 
I will say, like, Heather, you can finish this paper back when I was in grad school. Like, you will finish this paper, Heather. You are talented. You're going to get this done. And I'm talking to my brain because I know that it actually has its own response that operates below or above my, my conscious control. Wow. That is fascinating. It really is fascinating. So so what did you learn doing this research then? What, what, what is it that, what are the big lessons that you learned? You know, so the biggest thing that I learned is that stories create connections. So when we listen to each other, and actually it's fascinating that that's the first question you asked is tell me your story. Because when we listen to each other share stories, our bodies release a hormone called oxytocin. It's essentially uh, the love hormone. It's a love drug. When a mom has a baby, the first thing they'll do is put that baby on your chest and want you to nurse it. Because when you nurse a baby, your body releases oxytocin. It's what tells your brain you love this baby, connect to this baby, this baby matters to you. We release the same hormone when we listen to each other tell stories. And this, especially for Christians, has a, has a huge implication Right? Because Jesus, thousands of years before this research, what did he do? He told stories. Is this not fascinating? And I, so I think it's interesting as a Christian because I'll often hear, you know, just well-meaning, righteous people be like, oh, but that pastor, all he does is tell stories. Well, actually, like the Bible is like 70 to 80% narrative in and of itself. We often think it's just a list of rules and do's and don'ts, but that's not what it is. It's a narrative. It's a story. Of what of a God who continues to keep His promise with a group of people, right? Despite them no longer keeping their promise with Him. So that's what we look at when we see Scripture. And then how, as we as Christians, how do we tell that story of what God has done in our lives? And I, so I challenge my students because I teach at a Christian university all the time. You need to be thinking about what those stories are. Stop trying to tell people all of your religion or your theology or your, your various points that you think are so impressive. Like, nobody is converted, I don't think, by people's religiosity or your theology. But what they will listen to is your story. Absolutely. And they will argue with your story. That's right, because we can't argue with our... You can't argue with somebody's experiences. You know, if I, yes. if I tell you what it was my experience of losing my mother was like... You can't argue with that because it was no. my experience. Like that happened, I felt that I experienced that. I, you know, that that's what happened. You know, and whether you whether you've lost someone or not, I you can't you you can't argue with my experience of of grief. You know, for example, that's just an example. But but it's what if somebody's been through? I mean, like right now we're in the pandemic. Like everyone's experience yeah. of this will be different. Even though we're all going through the same thing, our experiences it will, of it will be different. Yeah. And all of our stories matter. Like, it's important, you know, that we acknowledge that and we don't just say, well, you, you went through it that way, so your story doesn't matter. Well, you, you can't say that because all stories matter. And James, not only does, like, the story matter, but just you telling it to me releases oxytocin to my brain, which forces me to feel connected to you. Right? Wow. So we're actually using our biology to work with our arguments when we present it in stories. So these are things that I want Christians to understand because I think we often walk around and we don't understand why people aren't flooding our churches. But we're, we're walking around and we just shout to people about what they're doing wrong. And we don't understand why that, wow, why is nobody coming? Why aren't they interested? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I mean when, I, when, I, yeah, when I talk about Jesus... I you know it's the stories of Jesus yes. that I 
that I love to tell and that mean the most to me because the way I connected with Jesus, connect with Jesus the most is through his story. You know, um, kind of being a social outcast as a child, um, yeah. losing a parent, um, being betrayed by his friends, being going through emotional, physical trauma. Like, I can relate with some of those. They're, they're that stories. So they really happened, right? And, that, and that I connect with that way more than I do with, like, theological stuff or even healings and, like, miracles. Like, right. Because it's real. You know, it's the human story, you know, of Jesus. And that's powerful to me. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I even love the way that you just described that. Oh, I love you. the way that you just I mean, I just think that that's so much more interesting for people. So, so who's God? If you describe it that way, I promise you people are going to be more interested to ask a follow-up question. Wait, what? He was not, wait, what? Like, because we think of, like, a king. You know, so when you don't align him that way, then that's far more relatable to the average person. Hmm. Yeah, it it does. It just shifts everything when you tell it as a it story. Does. You know, um, that's. I mean, that's really my. That's always been my writing style as well. Quite naturally, is to tell stories. I find it much easier just to tell stories and to to write out big arguments and preachy stuff. Some people are good at the preachy stuff when they write. I, that's not. That's never been my my thing. I've I always think in. I've always thought in stories. I mean, I grew up. I grew up loving um, comic book heroes like like Christopher, okay. Christopher Reeve Superman. Right was the was the was the was the person I grew up with. Like I love that story and I love the the idealism behind it and I love the what he embodied and I wanted to be that and so I got I really got into comic books when I was a kid and just loved the stories like I love movies because I love stories you know uh, and a good story always grips me and so like and when you watch a load of movies with which are written really well you kind of the whole concept of story and the way to tell a story kind of sinks in I think yeah. to your brain like or when you read lots of good books you know, yeah. that, that that allows you to be able to tell a story better than you would have done, I think. Yeah. One of my my favorite pastors, um, his name is David Asherick, and he said something, I think I just heard it like a few months ago, and I was like, whoa, I've never thought of it this way. He said, essentially all of Scripture is simply the story of God keeping his promise to one person. And I was like... I mean, when I look at God as a promise keeper, that will change the stories that I'm telling myself about what he's doing in my own life. If all of scripture really boils down to God keeping his promise to Abraham, what what are the implications of that for me in my life? Mm. That means one person matters to God quite a lot, right? And his promise and his word matters quite a lot. That blows my mind. And it's like, man, I want to worship that kind of God. And I want to have a relationship with a promise keeper. Yeah. It just shifts the emphasis just enough yeah. that you can connect as a, you can connect in a different way. Like, I mean, I, to be honest, I, after my trauma, I had a lot of problems with God. And like, where were you when this happened? Why did you not show up? Why did you just sit and watch this happen? And I've done a lot of growth in the last five years, and you know, kind of healing and transformation, um, and had this sense that something something was shifting spiritually and in collective consciousness and that, you know, that that was happening, but it was very subtle. And now I'm seeing it happen in a much more 
um, obvious way. Um, people are much more aware of it. Like I've been like working to overcome grief and trauma and gone through that whole process and come out the other side, and now I'm seeing it happen to other people, and I'm seeing. And I'm able to see like the, the story of God working through this like as a bigger story rather than like the short term or just in my own life. It's like I can see the bigger arc of the story that God is telling. And that's helped me connect with God again. Okay. Because I can see that he's that there's a story happening here. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, I love what too what you said because I, I just think that this is important for everybody to understand is that and this is what I just heard you say too. A relationship with God is a journey, and it takes so much time. And I think often we have this, I don't know where it comes comes from, but this misconception that if I cry out to God, everything's going to be different immediately. And if things aren't different immediately, then something's not working, or I'm not working, or something's wrong. But yet if we look again to the story of Scripture and the stories of people, we see these, like these, we read it in a couple pages, but this took... Moses, it took 80 years for Moses to see God fulfill his promise to him. 80 years. David is like 15 years. Joseph is like 15 years. I mean, this is, these things took a lot of time. And I just, this is, I just am passionate about sharing that with people. Like, God is a journey. I so relate with what you just said because for me, it was years of of me changing so subtly that I wasn't even necessarily fully aware I was changing. But then mm. one day when you look back 10 years or yeah. five years, you're like, yeah. whoa, I'm not the same person that I yeah. used to be. Yeah, I know. I noticed that in myself. And actually the time, the time stamps of how, 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 how much I've changed in a short time keep getting shorter. So I look back like a year ago and I'm like, whoa. I've changed so much, even in that little time. You know, and it used to be, oh, five years, ten years, but now it's like getting shorter because I'm growing so quickly because I've entered into a process of ongoing growth, and it's just like everything just keeps on moving, and it's like, whoa. Like, I look back at some of the things I said, or that I right, I listened to a podcast I, list, I recorded like three, four years ago, and I'm like, wow, how, how far have I come since then? Like... You know, and I thought I was doing really well, and I thought I was really like, right on the edge. Like, and like, wow, I've come so far, and it's it's really interesting when we look at that, and we look at our own yeah. stories, and see how we've come, how far we've come. And and then we don't give up. Yeah. Right. And if and if we look back, like we, I think sometimes we look at the wrong line. We look at the gap between where we are right now and where we want to go, and we never look at the gap between where we've been and where we are right now. Like, if you look backwards, it will give you the strength to realize, wait, I'm not going to stay where I am right now. I'm going to keep moving forward. I'll get to that end goal that I'm trying to get to. But often we just look forward and we're like, man, there's just so far. There's so much ground still for me to cover. We don't realize how far we've already come. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That was great. (laughs) (laughs) This is really fantastic. I've wanted to explore this in my show for a while. Um, because it, I, I believe it so passionately that we need to engage with story mm. a lot more, especially in our faith journeys and our personal journeys, and you know that's that's how we do that. Um, yeah, this was really proven to me. I had one of my best friends. I, I wouldn't call him an atheist. He maybe identified as an atheist for a long time, but I, I would say he's more agnostic. 
Um, but we used to, he's a good friend of mine. So in love, we would have like these really deep conversations about God. And yeah. he would challenge, and honestly, a lot of the things that he challenged me on, I think really I needed to be challenged on. So a lot of the, the questions that he would bring up to me, I needed to wrestle with. And I was constantly surrounding myself with people who would never poke holes in my perfect um, understanding until I would sit down on a couch having coffee with him. And so one night, I just remember, and this is probably right before I moved to Denver, so about nine months ago, we're having this really deep conversation, and he's just trying to poke holes in all these things. And I was like, all right, let me just tell you this one story. And I told him, I don't know how much time you have, I'm going to tell you a short story. I told him this story um, about, so I'm a professor, and one day, one of my students walks into my classroom and the second I saw her, and this wasn't, I have a pretty good relationship with all of my students. This particular student was not somebody who, like, laughed at my jokes or sat in the front row. She kind of stone-faced me most of class. She, she just didn't really seem interested in me at all. She just was in the class that she had to be. And so we hadn't had a relationship. And the second I saw her, I heard a small voice in my head say, give her the money that's in your wallet. And at this time, I, you know, I never carried cash. I had, like, $20 cash on me. And I was like, I am not doing that. This is a secular school. This is my student. This is inappropriate. No, I'm not doing that. So class gets out and she leaves. And I, I hear this voice say, you keep asking me to give you big responsibility, but you're not being faithful with even these small requests. And so I feel guilty and I'm like, okay. I start running around the parking lot looking for this student to give her $20 and I can't find her. That week, it was a Friday that this happened and then I went on spring break. I went to Mexico for my friend's wedding didn't think about the girl, didn't think about the $20 at all, and having a great time in Mexico. I come back a week later, and the second I see her, I had not thought of her since I left. The second I see her, I hear it again in my head, give her the money that's in your wallet. And this time I had $40, so God had, had double split because I wasn't faithful the first time. So I see her, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to give it to her. So after class, I'm like, hey, can you come forward? Can I talk to you for a second? And everybody leaves, and she's super nervous thinking that she's in trouble, and I go, you know what, this is really uncomfortable for me. I don't know why I'm doing this, and I have never done this before. This is not even from me, but I feel like God, I'm a Christian, and I feel like God is telling me to give you this $40 that I have, and, and it's between you and him. It has nothing to do with me. And she looks at me, and she immediately starts to cry, and I have no idea any of this. She says to me, I, right before I came in this class, I was sitting in the hallway with my best friend, and I asked her dad if he could give me money to buy a box of diapers. This girl was is 18 years old, and apparently she had a daughter. I didn't know that. Uh, she said, I needed money for a box of diapers. I called my friend's dad. He said he didn't have any extra money this month. And so my friend said to me, let's pray. And she said, I am not interested in prayer. I was molested by um, my adopted family. When she finally gets adopted, she's molested by her adopted brother. When she finally... What tells her parents, her adoptive parents, they get rid of her and keep their son. So she's now out living in um, a homeless shelter. She ends up getting pregnant. Now she has a six-month-old baby. And she's like, and I, I didn't want to pray. And my friend said, let's just pray. So she prays to God for money for a box of diapers. And now here I am, 30 minutes later, handing her $40, enough money to get a box of diapers. And so she's just sobbing. She's like, I can't believe that this just happened. And I was like, whoa. I can't believe that this just happened. And so I give her the money, and we, to this day, her and I, I just talked to her daughter on the phone uh, two days ago. We still have a relationship. I still continue to financially help her when I can. Um, and 
I told that story to my friend Jason, and he looks at me and he goes, that's interesting. Now that's interesting. I had just argued with him my theology for the last three hours, and he didn't care. The second I told him that one story, he said, Heather, that's, that's weird. That's interesting, right? Our stories have so much power, and we have to really sit, I think, as Christians and take time and really identify what those stories are in our own lives, where we've seen God in our own lives, and be able to share them when the opportunity presents itself. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Well, that's an amazing story. It is. Really it's one of my story. favorites. And um, that one story... You know what? Like now, if I hear, if I feel like I hear God say something to me, I used to be, you know, just I think a normal person where I wouldn't. You know, everybody has this experience. I don't think I'm special. Everybody has this experience where you hear that small voice say, like, "Go talk to that person. Go sit next to that person. Go go say this. Go do this." And you're like, "No, that's weird. I'm not doing it." Or maybe that's not God. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. And so you don't do it, right? And this one time I did it, and since that experience, I always do it. Like, I would rather look stupid than have another teenage girl not have, a, have money for a box of diapers. Mm-hmm. I will never miss that opportunity again if God is trying to use me to bridge a gap for somebody else. And, and how often does God want us? We always pray, God, answer the prayer. How often is God trying to use you to answer somebody else's prayer? But we don't do it. Yeah. It's true, it's true, and oh yeah. <laughs> and I was just thinking, you were talking about how you told this story to your friend, and you've been disagreeing over theology. I was thinking how story st- story can help us love our enemies because because we can just share stories instead of arguing about like theology or beliefs or evidence or whatever we instead of trying to convince each other of things and fighting over that we can just tell each other stories and we can connect over that i mean that's how i that's how i've connected with people who have different beliefs than me is through stories like i just read a a study james the other day that said that atheists are more open-minded towards christians than christians are towards atheists and I was just like, yeah, that's problematic. If the entire, right, if, if what we understand in the gospel is what you just said, how do we love our enemies? And we have to be able to do that. And yet, atheists are doing that better than Christians. We have a problem. Yeah. So these are the things that, yeah, I'm, I want to talk to people about and challenge us about. And, and I think communication is the vehicle by which we build all of these relationships. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, how... How have you learned to communicate better in the you know, over the course of your your life? You want to know my simple answer to that is listening. I think a lot of times people think, and I say this on the first day of class to my students, people think that great communicators are great speakers, that they're orators and they're the speech makers and the pastors and all that stuff. Man, the best communicators are the best listeners. If you aren't listening, you're not a good communicator because listening is all, communication is always about understanding who your audience is and being able to speak into that. You can't do that if you haven't listened. And I think a lot of times we'll spend time when we have a message to be communicated thinking about how to communicate the message. I tell everybody, stop, spend time understanding who your audience is. Just start there. And then you change your message to fit that person. That is what effective, that's what competent, by definition, in the textbook, 
Competent communication is about changing your message to fit your audience. What most people do, and this is why the average person is totally incompetent when it comes to communication, even though we don't realize it, most people are incompetent because we say, if you don't understand what I'm saying, that's your problem. Communicators say, no, if you don't understand what I'm saying, that's my problem. And how do I change what I'm saying to fit you in a way that you, not only will you understand, but what if, if we look at persuasion and things, like actually change a behavior? Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. We need to learn to listen. Actually, it's funny when I was I'm, pl- I'm working on a book and when I was planning it with my book coach, one of the things we talked about is we need to write down the names of people who you're writing this to, right? And so I I figured out a, a couple of people in my life who this book could be for. People who I knew really well, I knew their story, and I knew what they were going through, and I knew what they'd experienced. And as soon as I named them, I started thinking about how this message could meet could meet them where they are at. Suddenly I had a load of clarity about how I could communicate this, what I wanted to write, a lot better. Suddenly it was so much easier to plan out this book because I know who I'm writing it to. I know who I'm trying to communicate with. So what you're saying is absolutely right. Yeah. When I was 17, I got my first job in radio. And my producer, that's the first thing he said to me was, don't talk. When you press that on button and you're on, don't talk to like 2030 to 50 year olds. I want you to talk to one person and name them and give them an age and a job and a race. And you talk directly to that person. And it, and it, that is actually where I first started learning how communication really is so much about being person centered. Here was this really successful radio jockey. And that's what he had learned was I'm not talking to thousands of people. I'm crafting a message for one person. And when you're really good at that, other people come in who fit that same brand and target market. Yeah, that's right. That's what I've learned as well. Like when I, I always have somebody in mind when I'm recording a podcast, you know, uh-huh. when I'm writing a, an article or a book or anything, when there's always somebody in mind. I, I know who, who will be listening. I know who will be, you know what their needs are, what they're thinking about, what what they're going through, what you know, what what meets their needs, and that really helps. It helps give yeah. clarity to what you're saying. Um, it's so deep. I think in a culture of social media where everybody's obsessed with numbers, it's re- the most helpful thing I've ever done is say it's not about it's not about the numbers. It's about connecting to the one person or connecting to connecting to this message to this specific group. Right? Stop looking for, because the reality is if you were to post a YouTube video and it has 15 people who watched it, what if those were 15 real people who showed up at your house to hear you talk about that thought? Like that would be successful. But for whatever reason, when we post it online, we think, well, it doesn't matter. It's just 15. I only had 15 views or I only had 100 views. Stop thinking target mass penetration and start really thinking about how you as a content creator, this is now for content creators, how do you speak into this to a small group of people? So much so that anytime you post or hit play or whatever on the podcast, they're going to, they, it connects to them so deeply that they will always share it. And then you just doubled. 
right? And then if you can double, then you can triple and keep going, right? It becomes a spiral. There's a tipping point, as Malcolm Gladwell would call it. Well, I'm guessing that when you when you write articles and when you write books, and you always have that in mind, like a person I, I, in mind, right? I would say that this, for me, has developed so much so in the last, I wouldn't say that that's always the way I approached it years ago, but definitely in the last few years, that has been my approach. Yeah, because I mean, because you've written for, for different audiences. I mean, you've written yeah. for, um, like just on Newsweek, when I was looking, looking at your articles, you've written articles on, on marriage and written articles on politics and, you know, the presidential race and, uh, you know, other things. Uh, and you've written articles on faith. And so that's three different audiences, you know, on the same website as well. Uh, and and it's really, really interesting that, yeah, because you need to be thinking about who you're writing to when you write each of those articles because it's going to be different different audiences. Yeah, and for me, I often just think about myself. <laughs> I often think, what what do I want to read that I'm not seeing? And I think that that's also something that authors can be good at is finding the void that you are experiencing and then filling it. Whenever my students say to me, like, what's my purpose? I always tell them, what gaps did you experience in your life? Go back and serve in those gaps. I, I just, I'm passionate about that. If you want to look at where you're going, look at where you've been. Mm. I don't think that things are an accident. And nobody is more qualified to speak into a gap that exists than you who fell into it. Does that make sense? Yeah. If that's the gap that you tripped over, why not then go be a bridge over that gap? And nobody will understand it better than you. Yeah, that's really good advice. Really yeah. good advice. And I, yeah. I tell people too, there's like we're in the age of information. So anything, like let's say you're going to, let's use you for example. I don't, I don't know if this is what you speak on, but if you speak on grief, why would we not then every month or every two months, read a different book on grief, on processing grief. Stay in that exact same lane. Within one year, if you've read six books on grief and then you also have that with your own story, forget it. You become one of the leading voices in that space. Most people will, and this, most people will never take the time to educate themselves in that way, but those who do, I promise where, whatever you want to speak into, if you want a speaking career, if you want a social media platform, if you want an, a book career, you figure out what the gap is in your own life and then you read as many books as you can in that gap. Let's say you read one book a month for just one year. At the end of the year, you've read 12 books for me on communication. I can get on a podcast now and talk about communication without even thinking about it because there's, I've, I've read so much and that's only in one year. Right? What if you replicate that year after year after year? You can be the next Brene Brown because you'll find yourself speaking into spaces because you're prepared. You know, I, I just really encourage people if they feel like there's no opportunity for them, you create it. Create that opportunity for yourself. Start doing the research, but first look at your own life and look at your own story and figure out what gaps you're called to step into and then do the external research to really speak knowledgeably into that gap and then connect it to your story stop i mean that's powerful if you could yeah exactly i mean the books that the books that that are most powerful for me are when people do exactly that they mm -hmm. align their story up with what they 
with what they know. They do the research. They, they have a story. They have something that they want to talk about that, that they have experience of. And then they educate themselves on it outside of that. And then they combine that and they tell a great story, which is fully informed, not just by their own story, but by research as well. Yeah. And that is a great combination. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's really profound really profound but it's so true um and you're right grief is the thing that at the moment certainly it's at the moment it's the thing that i'm that i'm that i'm kind of thinking about a lot that it's been on my mind i mean not just not just with the pandemic but long before that i've been thinking about about grief and how we process grief and how it impacts us and our stories and um, healthy and unhealthy responses to grief and yeah and i've been doing what you've been saying like you know reading books listening to podcasts all that and just educating myself on it Mm -hmm. because uh because then you can then you can put that alongside a story and it's and it's and it means something and it might be able to help somebody absolutely and that's advice to everybody uh, as well i think anybody because i know that there's there's writers and podcasters who listen to this as well and people who write books and want to write books. Uh, that's great advice. So thank you for that advice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And so what is the... I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued. What's the story, the Jesus story, that m- most compels you? I mean, like the... I know, I'm not talking about the whole arc of the story, but... The individual Jesus story, which kind of compels you and challenges you the most. Oh man, I think I have a lot of well, and this, this I mean, it is a story, but the story of Jesus when he goes into the wilderness to be tempted forty days is really powerful to me. Uh, his, a lot of people don't realize the responses that he gives. So each of the temptations that the that the devil gives, the responses that he gives all come back to Exodus, right? So he goes, essentially what he does is the Israelites wander the desert for 40 years. Christ goes into the desert for 40 days. He redeems those 40 years that were, every time that they fail, he, when he responds to the devil, he speaks back where they failed, except he conquers. So it just is like this really powerful, deeply symbolic passage where you see Christ redeem everything that we break as a people, as spiritual Israel, and it's really powerful to me. And I also think it's fascinating that before he ever does one miracle, he's tempted, and he suffers, and he's alone, and he's isolated. That just, it speaks volumes to me about who God is. And about our own story, because I yeah. just think we often think that if things aren't amazing and if I'm not rich and if I'm not making everything happen immediately, then something's wrong or I am wrong. But if Christ himself, like what are the implications of Christ himself, Christ, God, waiting 30 years to preach one sermon? What are the implications of that? To me, that's, that is a really powerful statement to everybody who's looking for overnight success. If God himself didn't preach one sermon for 30 years, who the heck do I think I am to believe that I I should be so much further along than I am? Like so much, it just tells me that God has a process. We value as, as Christians and as people and as a culture, I think we really value the product. God really values the process. And he never puts the product before the process. 
yeah. even in his own life. Yeah, we've added the product, God values the process. Yeah, that is true. Very so it doesn't true. Mean that we're doing anything wrong. I just know so many people, and I know I felt this way in my life, where I just feel like, man, like if if I was doing this right, God would be blessing me, or I would see all these awesome things happening. Well, how do you think Jesus felt then? Yeah, yeah, that's right. You said it when you said the story about him, right? Rejected, alone, isolated. Well, yeah. Before he's thirty, before he starts his ministry, he's lost a parent. He's had a and probably been a bit of a traumatic childhood because being a bit social outcast and not able to get married like all his siblings, like most people his age. Um, and he had to deal with all of that first. And then he's then he goes into the desert on his own and has to face all of that on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so really powerful. It's like he goes through the hero's journey before he actually starts his ministry. Like, you know, like Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. Like, he kind of goes through that himself before he starts. It's not It's not like he, 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 starts, he starts that journey after he starts his ministry. It's like, no, 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 he, he, he does all that work before he even starts. Like, he's done the inner work before he starts. Yeah. That's the nail on the head. And that's what I think most people we feel like we're doing it wrong. But what if that's actually what's working? What if our brokenness is what's working so that when we get to the mountaintop that we will eventually get to, because we don't stay in this space, right? We will transition through it. But when we get there, we've done so much character work that it's been perfected in these desert days that when you get to the top of the mountain, he can trust you and you can trust yourself. Mm. That, I think, is supposed to be the point. Yeah, that's powerful. Wow. Yeah, this is actually kind of, like, woken me up to the story of Jesus and the story of God a lot more, just thinking about it in this way, which I was doing already, but it's just, just talking about it with you, it just opens it up, I think, and it just kind of makes it more compelling. You know that this is this person actually does all the stuff that that we we need to do, and uh, he doesn't kind of bypass it. You know, he great point. Uh, he just says, no, no, no. You've got to do the work before you do the work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like and something else in uh, I can't remember what chapter or verse it's in, but as Jesus is, as the disciples are starting to follow him, to say, Master or Teacher, where are you going? And Jesus replies, come and see. And that is so very much the Jesus that I've experienced in my own life, where I say, God, where am I going? What's the plan? Give me the map. And he just says, no, come and see. We're going to do this one day at a time, one piece at a time, and you'll discover as you're on this journey. And that's why I say a relationship with God is a journey. And there's no map for it. Mm, that's right. And right now, what we're going through with the pandemic, that's one of the things that I've noticed is that I've started to just take it one day at a time. We don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't know who we're going to be at the end of it. We don't know how things are going to be at the end of it. We can't predict that. We just have to take it one day at a time. Um, And it's a journey. And so let's stop... 
I think I exhaust myself personally. Maybe everybody doesn't have this problem, but I exhaust myself thinking if I could just get to two months from now or six months from now. And since I've started living, like you just said, literally one day at a time, uh, what can't you get through when it's one day at a time? You often exhaust yourself mentally because you're like, I can't live like this for two more months. That's me right now with homeschooling my kids. It's very difficult, right? I can't do this for two more months, but can you do it today? Okay, I can, I can do this for today. And then let's, so let's just give us this day, our daily breath. Let us just live one day at a time, trying to do our best one day at a time with other people being kind to ourselves, of course, having a relationship with God. Where will we be, James, five years from now if we live intentionally one day at a time? Mm, yeah, that's right. That's a real challenge, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. And it's important to not live not live in the like anxiety often comes from living in the future or the past yes right and and it's not right and it's and it's good to reflect on what's happened in the past and to learn the lessons from that and to engage with what's with that and it's good to plan for the future and have aspirations for the future but if you live in those places all the time that's not healthy at all because you end up frustrated anxious depressed all of those things. And so I think one of the biggest lessons, like I think you just alluded to this, is just being present every single day in today. Right. Yeah, and I've read a lot of research that says that people who are present are happier. So it actually, what you just said is like, it, research says this, that it, it increases your, your happiness level. Mm, yeah. Wow. Well, this has been really great. Um, yeah, fantastic. Um, thank you for for coming on. Um, just to kind of finish, what's what's the biggest lesson that you've learned about story and communication that you that you want everyone to know? I think uh, the biggest thing that I have learned is that normally what we do is we we try to drag a person. Our goal is to bring a person to our message, I think, often with communication. I'm going to drag you kicking and screaming over to my message. Great communicators take a message to a person. And that requires not them to move from their position, but me to move from mine. So me to, what does it mean to stand in a gap? <laughs> Literally, I have to get up and move and stand in the gap that is separating you and I. And I think your story is the most brilliant bridge that you can ever use to stand in the gap between you and another person. Fantastic. That's brilliant. Well, thank you so much, um, Heather. That's, uh, that's fantastic. Um, really grateful you've come on the show. And where can people find your work? Well, you know, the, the last book that I have out is called Confessions of a Christian Wife. You can find that. Just type in Heather Thompson Day, Confessions of a Christian Wife. It'll be on Amazon. And I have a book coming out, hopefully 2021, which I'm super excited about. It's called It's Not Your Turn. It's still in, we're in an editing process right now, but the manuscript is complete and it should be out with University Press next year. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope this is really as encouraging for you as it was for me. So um, take care, everyone.